with my background, I spent about uh, seven-ish years working at the National Security Agency, and there's a, a, a wide variety of places that people can go within that agency, and uh, one of them is the NSA Red Team. This is Scott Manka. Today, he's a federal systems engineer, but as you'll soon hear, he spent time working for the U.S. government, hacking the U.S. government. One of the biggest advantages and uh, use cases, I guess, for having a Red Team is just getting that adversary point of view whenever it comes into, or whenever it comes to, uh, I guess, breaking into networks or testing your network defenses. You know, there's always the, uh, people like to say like white hat, black hat, gray hat types of hackers. And really the the red team is, that they're in a adversarial mindset. They're uh, in the mindset of attacking and finding any way into the network uh, necessary. So you're in your SOC, your security operations center. You spend your time defending all aspects of the organization. Then one day a hacker comes in and sees a blind spot, the one you can't see, that one corner of the network that is exposed, that is vulnerable. For all that time and money you've spent so far, you're still owned. That's not good. In your role, you have to see that everything is secure 24-7 and think of every crazy attack vector. But for a hacker, they only have to be right once, and then they're inside. Welcome to The Hacker Mind, an original podcast from For All Secure. It's about challenging our expectations about the people who hack for a living. I'm Robert Famosi, and in this episode, I'm defining red teams, blue teams, and even purple teams. How hiring professional hackers has become a business necessity given the modern threat landscape. Would you hire a hacker? No, seriously. Would you bring a hacker on staff, even for a short amount of time? It's actually a very good idea. Not only do you get a trained and certified security professional, you also get someone who doesn't necessarily see the world the way you do, which is how hackers see the world, different from you. So with red teams, you have attackers on the one side. That means you're going to need defenders on the other. That would be the blue team. Blue team is uh, you know, a, a team of security folks who are really focused on and specialized in just maintaining the security integrity and the confidentiality of their uh, networks that they're in charge of protecting. So it really is a defensive mindset for the blue team uh, compared to the offensive mindset of the red team. So they're, they're pretty much the exact opposite of, of each other, really. The term red team is military in origin, part of Cold War wargaming exercises. The red teams were always viewed as offensive or the attackers. In this case, it could be a reference to the red Soviet Union. And the blue teams are always viewed as the defenders, and this might have been represented by True Blue USA. In a kinetic war, the two groups don't necessarily tip their hands. And the same is true in a virtual war, even if both teams are employed by the same organization. Oftentimes, you know, like uh, the communication between the red team and blue team is not this fully bi-directional showing, showing their full hand and how the, they're able to do this, that, or the other. And that's by design. You know, you don't want, whenever it comes to actually defending your network, you're not going to know everything that your adversary is using. And so whenever these red teams of, you know, highly specialized folks, they have their, uh, their certain tactics, techniques, and procedures that they're following, certain tools that they're using. A lot of them, they'll like to keep close to the chest. And then uh, 
they'll give a little bit of detail about how they actually gain access or actually uh, compromise a few systems here or there. And then uh, usually they'll write up a report and then uh, share that with the blue team. And then they'll go ahead and uh, beef things up from there. And uh, it, it's, it usually is a pretty fun uh, back and forth between the red teams and the blue teams because, you know, you do have those folks who are uh, very, very happy to show that they're able to successfully, you know, either break in or give the red team a hard time gaining access. So it's a, it's, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty interesting back and forth between the two teams. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's been my experience from, uh, you know, from a, from a higher level. So we got red teams, blue teams, two sides of a coin. Lately, though... There's been talk about a purple team. A purple team is just a, a mixture of the two. So let's say a lot of times that I've, I've really ran into some purple teams type of things would be smaller deployments of, uh, of folks focused on a specific objective. Or let's say you have some folks, you know, either uh, traveling to different bases and uh, they don't have the resources to have a fully dedicated red team and a fully dedicated blue team there that is completely knowledgeable and is really in the weeds in the in those environments i would say in those specific environments not that they're not familiar with uh you know securing or attacking in my experience i've just seen them where it's more of like a, an ad hoc type of a maybe a travel a traveling purple team if you will um obviously that's not always the case but purple teams are just a mixture of uh of folks who represent both red and blue. It's, it's a single group of people who really do both of the uh, offensive and defensive testing. So it sounds like you don't need to hire red, blue, and purple teams full-time. You can probably contract with them. It's not just the government that needs them. Commercial space needs them as well. There's a pretty big market, too, for either folks or organizations or companies that don't have their own uh, team of folks that are dedicated to red and blue. Sometimes they might have a budget for something like a purple team where it's a smaller group of people doing both the attack and defense. Oftentimes there's these, uh, I guess, uh, third party companies that can come in. So a, a sort of like a, how you'd hire like a pen testing company or a, a pen testing uh, individual. They have uh, situations where you can like hire purple teams to really just hop in and uh, get both sides of that visibility into the security of your network. A penetration or pen test is when you hire a hacker or team of hackers to purposely look for vulnerabilities on your network, your system, or your product. These are usually point-in-time engagements specific to an area of concern. With red, blue, and purple teams, whether they are full-time or contract, these tend to be more engaged campaigns that can be either point-in-time or more often, they're simply continuous. From my experience, you know, like the the red teams and the blue teams were constantly, you know, it was a full time thing. You know, like a there would be a few weeks spent uh, doing some research on uh, any new happenings or whatever. The blue teams always, you know, the blue team pretty much always has their hands full anyway, and it, and it usually seemed like the red team would uh, spend, you know, several weeks gathering some information together, and then once they get their full idea of maybe their next quote unquote attack, if you will, th there will be a period of a, a week or so where it would just be a constant barrage of them attacking. And then the, the blue team would be there to defend and, and protect. But, you know, whenever you're doing something like a pen test, of course, like a, if you're contracting that out to a third party, that isn't always going to be a constant thing. And that could be, that could be said for the, uh, you know, purple teams as well. Um, 
it just it it really would depend. Uh, obviously, like there is a huge benefit in having the continuous continuous testing along those lines because you know the the threat landscape is changing every single day. There's always something new that is going to allow somebody else access into your network. And if you're not constantly keeping your defense folks on their toes, then it's it could lead to problems in the future. Think about it. A job where you either attack your own organization all day long or you're assigned to defend your organization from the red team. How cool is that? So I would assume, at a minimum, you would need to know baseline security skills. But do you grow up wanting to someday be on a red team or a blue team? So whenever it came to the military, it they generally picked the folks for the red teams and the blue teams from the same pool of, of uh, professionals that they had available to them. Uh, whenever, whenever you're on the outside of the military, it, it sort of becomes a, uh, you know, you'll, you'll have to have your basic credentials just to get into the secu- cybersecurity field, really, uh, you know, uh, a degree in a relevant, in a, a relevant interest, uh, uh, maybe a few certifications. And then depending on where you want to go, once you have those, uh, that foundation built of, you know, a degree and then, and, you know, a security plus cert, let's say, um, there are several certifications to go after that really branch out in those two different directions from there. You have the, you have specific certi- certifications that are focused on the attack or offensive uh, aspect of things, and then as well as the the defensive way uh, defensive th- side of things as well. So uh, I wouldn't say diving down one of those branches will completely exclude you from the other, but it will really make things easier to find a position whenever you have those relevant credentials associated with those two aspects of things. Given this terminology stems from the military, I wonder if there's a hierarchy involved. I mean, from the sound of it, I say maybe a red team might be on top. You know, the elite hackers might all want to go there. But that might not be the case. Blue team needs to really be skilled to fend off these attacks. And I mean, really skilled. You know, whenever I was first joining, I, I really did think that was the case. And, uh, and from, uh, I initially went into more of a defensive blue team position. And then for, for several years, about four, four years of w- where, of which was focused on defense and focused on after the fact and, and really, um, for your blue teams and your defense to succeed, you're going to need some serious skills because let's say that that is the mindset of everybody where they're saying, okay, if you want to, let's say if you are really apt to learning new things and you're extremely driven, only focus on red team, that's going to really, really hurt things on the defense aspect because you're going to need, uh, you're going to need folks with a lot of, uh, resources, if you will, or some really strong backgrounds whenever it comes to defending. Because if you have, you know, the folks who are really passionate about things, only pursuing the attack and the offensive portion, that's, that's really going to throw things off balance. And that's where and that's usually whenever you're going to see like, you you know, your red teams are going to constantly be having these reports sent out to the blue teams, and then the blue teams will just never seem to be able to catch up is, uh, is, is what I've seen. Now, uh, you'll get, and, and every every so often you'll get like a, a, a few folks who are just extremely bright and extremely driven to really focus on defense. And and that's really where uh, I would say if, 
you know, it's 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 like one of those things where like the best offense is a great defense. So it sounds like the blue teams are more elite, and why not? They're defending the crown jewels twenty four seven. They have to think of everything. The red team only has to be right once. On the other hand, the red team is what we see on television and film as a representation of hacking. The black hoodie. It's not really hacking. Red team has uh, the easier job in, in terms of attracting new new folks because that, that seems to be what a uh, movie-like position. But on the blue team, it's really that's really where the challenge is is defending against these unknown unknowns. And the blue team is really where you're going to have the ability to really think outside of the box and have some really cool ideas. And if you are someone like extremely bright and you have these different perspectives and different ways to attack a certain problem, that's really uh, blue team is definitely where it's going to be the most beneficial because a red team at the end of the day, a lot of folks will sort of refer to themselves in the red team as just, you know, glorified, glorified script kitties at times, you know, they'll be stepping through certain things. And if a certain exploit or a certain uh, vulnerability isn't present, there's always, there's always another one. There's always something that's uh, easily, uh, easily able to be copied and pasted and, and transferred over there. But at the same time, you know, like, that's not to say like one is better than the other. They're both exactly just important. But I would say that for blue team, that is where your critical thinkers and, you know, the, the thinking outside of the box is really going to be the most beneficial and the, the most challenging aspect of the two, I would say. So let's be cynical. This sounds like it's all fun and games. I hire two teams of hackers to attack and defend my organization all day long. Why on earth would I pay somebody to do this? I mean, if I'm a commercial company, how do I justify this to my investors, to my shareholders? Or the government? How do I justify it to the taxpayer? Let's just say like you're always going to need the, the network defense and some form of network defense, and you're going to always need somebody there to defend your networks. Now, if, uh, if you're in a vacuum and you're just... And let's say you're in charge of keeping your network secure, you're just going to be... Uh, you know, performing your regular scans that, at whatever's mandated by your organization or let's say uh, different um, security controls that you have to follow. Uh, you'll just be pretty much following along those lines. Whenever you bring in this sort of adversarial aspect to where not only are you going to be attacked in a, a very similar way, if not identically, uh, in a real world scenario, but after the fact, you'll get to have this collaboration and discussion between those two teams of what went wrong? How did we get in? Like, where did this chain break? And how, how is everything blown wide open? So now you get that additional insight. So it, it brings a lot more context into just, oh, hey, we were breached. We're going to figure out how. Uh, it's going to take a while. And then once we figure out how, we, we don't really have any other... Uh, oftentimes, you won't have a, a whole lot of information to go on. Whereas whenever you have that uh, red team, blue team collaboration, you're really going to be able to get a lot more detail into how that breach occurred. And on top of that, um, having somebody like if, you, if you're working defense, you're if you know that you're just constantly going to be attacked in some certain way, you it's going to force you to be a little more forward thinking in terms of defense and in terms of what should be done instead of what has to be done. So it really does change the mentality of the, of the folks performing the security. And it's, 
it's extremely beneficial in, in, in both of those aspects at the very least. So beyond the theoretical, what does it look like to be on a red team or a blue team? For several weeks, uh, we were getting, I don't want to say owned by the red team, but uh, I don't want to give them too much credit. But uh, we were definitely not, the red team definitely was not making things easy on us in terms of, you know, like they'd be like, oh, they, you know, they found that this vector and oh, they, they got these credentials on your domain controller. You know, it just seemed like, you know, one thing after another, after another. And uh, at this point, most of our team was relatively new, you know, fresh out of boot camp, fresh out of training. And then we had a, and, and of course it has to happen during, you know, one of the overnight shifts, uh, you know, so like, you know, two or three in the morning, all this, all this stuff is happening. But one of the more interesting things was, after a few weeks of just, uh, I guess, just having our, our butts handed to us by the red team, uh, you know, folks just start to kind of that the competitive nature and and people just starts to come out. We're like, okay, we wanna we wanna just figure something something out to uh, at the very least just hold our ground and then maybe work from there. As the as these hours would go on, we would just start some, to do some research of our own on what's being used and what sort of things are are working for attackers and if there's anything you know like that's really trending i guess if you will and this was around the time of uh there was this tool called the low orbit ion cannon low orbit ion cannon is an open source tool perhaps first made famous by anonymous a loosely organized group that went after political targets sometimes by causing distributed denial of service attacks that's what Low Orbit Ion Cannon does. It floods a site with bogus traffic, preventing legitimate requests from people trying to access the site. Using Low Orbit Ion Cannon for stress testing your own server, that's perfectly legal. Turning it on another server, not owned by you, that's not legal. So in the organization where Scott worked, the blue team had to anticipate that the red team might someday use this tool. It was starting to be like talked about a bit more and we were assuming that, you know, the red team was going to maybe do something like this just to just to have one more vector or one more thing to sort of, you know, rub in our face, I guess, if you will. And so what we did was download uh, a few different uh, copies that we were able to get. And we spent a lot of time um, writing these intrusion detection signatures and trying to write some sort of a, a we're trying to uniquely identify traffic that was coming from this tool or uh, blocking. Yeah, anytime we either saw somebody downloading it or using or using it for some sort of denial of service thing, we were just we spent a lot of time writing some signatures to mitigate those two different aspects of things, and it really did help us out because that was that was one of the the avenues that they had ended up trying to take, and it. It's not the most, you know, like um, groundbreaking story, but it really does uh, reinforce what I was saying earlier, where ha- being constantly attacked by by your colleagues is really going to make you think a little more uh, proactive or be a little more proactive in defense versus just reactive, because the the reactive approach is just impossible, and uh, and and it really did, you know, like it's from that, that was, you know, like our first win, that was just the first, oh, okay, so this is how we need to be handling it. Like we need to, let's, we need to be keeping an eye on what's going on instead of just focusing on the bare minimum and looking at ourselves in a vacuum and 
believing that we're totally safe. And, uh, and that was just, uh, a, more of an eye opening moment for myself and the, and the team that I was on in terms of just going out there and looking for ways that we will be attacked and figuring out how to stop that. So what other tools might the red team be using? I'd imagine they'd be using Kali Lennox. It has probably the most tools already baked in. So for, uh, some, someone on the red team, yeah, Kali Lennox is, uh, pretty much a go-to. Um, that's what most folks I know, uh, use, um, I know, and, and once you, once you start getting into that, uh, you know, offensive security type of world, um, people love just getting into either smaller or of an already small subset. So like, a, it's, it's pretty much Linux, the, or the overlying, uh, you know, different branches, I guess that they have of that. Uh, if you download Kali Linux, it's going to have everything that you're going to need to really get your hands dirty and get started. And once you actually start knowing what you, uh, knowing your own workflow, knowing the tools you prefer to use and knowing what works, then really you can choose whatever, whatever type flavor of Linux is, is your favorite. Um, I, I, I would recommend, uh, you know, trying Linux over the other main OSs if possible, just because most of the offensive security red team pen testing world is Linux. And it seems like the outliers of the, uh, the, the smaller community or smaller portions of that community would use something like Windows or, or Mac. And uh, it would just be the easiest to get, get things going in terms of that because you'll have your, um, you'll have your uh, you know, packet sniffers, you'll have uh, Metasploit baked into the uh, Kali Linux image already, ready to go with, with so many different uh, exploits that you're able to use right off the bat. Um, whenever you're getting into the defensive side of things, um, some of the tools are going to be, uh, some of the tools are going to transfer over as well, like uh, using Wireshark, um, having some sort of um, intrusion detection system, you'll maybe using Snort and uh, be able to um, write signatures to highlight any suspicious traffic. And whenever a signature fires off, it's going to collect, you know, a few, a, a minute or two of that traffic that's associated with it. So you can open that up in Wireshark and get an idea of what was actually going on whenever this, this signature hit. And, um, really, it, it really does seem a bit unfair whenever I think about it, because the blue team has so, uh, has less to work off of whenever they're trying to protect versus the red team where everybody loves writing scripts to destroy things and, and Metasploit's out there for free. And, um, it, so it really, the, the, it is, I would say it's much more challenging being on the blue team, um, whenever it's just coming from that closed aspect is, you know, you're sort of like a horse with blinders on that. You don't see the full picture ever until something happens. And it really does need some very creative thinkers and uh, proactive folks to really uh, take things to the next level there. Okay. So being a professional hacker, working on a red or blue or perhaps purple team, that sounds cool. What skills would I need or what certs do I need to do this type of work? Baseline would be something like uh, Security Plus, Net Plus um, would go over there. Uh, yeah, I'm hesitant to endorse something like a Certified Ethical Hacker, or there's also like, I think it's like Computer Hacking Forensic Investigator, because I feel like uh, any time that I was in a position that 
would be considered or construed as I'm a hacker. If somebody had the, if somebody, you know, had those certifications, you'll realize very fast that those don't apply at all. And CEH certified ethical hacker and CHFI, the uh, hacking forensic investigator, those seem to be more of a very high level view of things that don't really translate well into getting your hands dirty. At least at the very least, that, that was my experience. For the record, Scott has both CEH and CHFI certifications. Um, but those, those first two, those security plus net plus, those are very basic. Those should be just a given to a given to get. There's also, and whenever you start getting a bit more into, let's say red team, there's a offensive security certified professional. So that is, um, a very well-respected cert to work toward. That is a very difficult one to get, uh, as well. The, uh, the testing for it's no joke. If you have OSCP, and you talk to anybody who's in the pen testing world, that's kind of like, okay, like, you know what you're doing. You can't just, uh, you know, put a banana peel under heels and slip into getting that, uh, getting, getting that cert. It's, it's not a joke at all. But uh, I would also, uh, I guess I would recommend a lot of the ones by offensive security, actually. Pretty much all of their certifications are pretty, pretty specialized. They are not just handed out at all. They are difficult to get, but they definitely hold their weight. So uh, I would look into to those as well. Given that Scott lives in this world, what advice does he have to someone starting out? Uh, I, would, I would really encourage a, a second look at the defensive aspect of things. Network defense is going to be a, a very lucrative career path as well because not everybody is hiring for a red team. Not everybody's hiring for a pen tester, you know, 365 days of the year. Uh, you know, like that, that more, that is more of a, uh, the pen testing thing at the very least is more of a, you know, ad hoc or contract thing where they'll spend a, a month doing one thing and then hopping from, from each, each different thing. But if you are somebody who's, uh, loves thinking outside of the box and who can really bring, uh, their different perspective and, uh, is a very forward thinking individual, then being on a blue team or something similar to a blue team is, extremely helpful. They definitely need way more folks who can think like that on the blue team side of things. The job is going to be more challenging, a bit more rewarding because it's not just the, it's not just a simple, uh, you know, uh, line and metasploit and then you hit enter, you set your hosts and then you automatically get in, you know, it's, it's blue team is definitely the, the more challenging side of things. And it's, it's also potentially more lucrative. Rather than be caught unawares, it's better to hack yourself. It's better to have smart people on staff who can be creative and think outside the box, whether they be red, blue, or purple. So there you go. Hack yourself. You'll be glad you did. For The Hacker Mind, I remain the proudly purple Robert Famosi. Robert Famosi.